It's Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News here, and today is our latest Maritime in Minutes episode on the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. Over the next 15 minutes or so, we will be taking a look back at some of the top and most interesting stories that appeared on Sea Trade Maritime News in the month of July. We'll be taking events week by week, so sit back, relax, and relive July in maritime and shipping, and maybe try and guess what we're going to be talking about next. Casting our minds back to the first week of July, and shipping was much more in the global spotlight than it's used to being. The reason was, the IMO's Marine Environment Protection Committee meeting, or MEPC 80. Attention was keenly focused on this meeting, as it was where member states would try and agree a revised greenhouse gas emissions reduction strategy for shipping. The pressure was on the IMO to align its strategy with the 1.5 degrees centigrade pathway with a strong lobby for a net zero emission target by 2050. What was finally agreed fell short of a hard and fast zero emissions target by 2050, but set waypoints of a 30% reduction in GHG emissions by 2030 compared to 2008 and 80% by 2040. And it then put an ultimate target of reaching net zero emissions as close to 2050 as possible. IMO Secretary-General Kitak Lim described it as a monumental development for the IMO and the opening of a new chapter towards decarbonisation. He was also clear that more work needed to be done. He said, at the same time, it is not the end goal. It is in many ways the starting point of the work that needs to intensify even more over the years and decades ahead of us. However, the revised strategy that you have now agreed upon We have a clear direction, a common vision, and ambitious targets to guide us to deliver what the world expects from us. However, the agreement of the IMO was seen as a disappointment among those hoping for a clear net zero emissions target by 2050. The reality is that while calling the revised strategy monumental may be a bit of a stretch, it is probably as good as could have been hoped for from the UN agency. The IMO, by its very nature, is an organisation of compromise, as it requires consensus. And as compromises go, when one takes into account the differing nation-state viewpoints, this is a pretty good one. In the reality, the IMO will end up setting a global baseline for emissions reductions. And there will be some areas, such as the EU, that will have tougher standards, which is rolling out now. It's a situation we've already seen with emission control areas which the industry has learned to live with. As the IMO Secretary General says, there is much work that will need to be done, and I'm sure that we'll be coming back to this story in the coming months and years. And even sooner than that, we'll be back at the IMO later in this episode for a different development. Switching to a more corporate part of the industry, and the first week of July saw Ocean Network Express, or ONE, hold its annual media briefing. It was a somewhat reflective affair, with ONE celebrating its fifth anniversary and CEO Jeremy Nixon taking us through the lows of being in the red at the start of the joint venture Container Lines Life, through the financial highs experienced in the supply chain crunch brought about by the pandemic, and the much more back-to-earth realities of today. Nixon admitted the next 12 months were going to be a bit challenging. As it faces those challenges, ONE is aiming to diversify its earnings base across the container supply chain. 
We are not talking the container line favorite of logistics here, but instead investments in terminals and tonnage providers. ONE has already acquired terminals from its parent companies, Mitsui OSK Lines, NYK, and K Line, and has taken a stake in Atlas Corp, which is the 100% owner of the world's largest non vessel operating owner of container ships, C SPAN. Looking ahead, Nixon said We can get some further stability by gradually building and getting more involvement to the container shipping value chain businesses as well, then overall we can further reduce that volatility in our P&L and earnings over the next five to ten years. Moving on to week two, and regular readers of Ctrain Maritime News will have noticed a steady stream of new building orders reported this year despite the expectation at the start of the year that volumes would continue to slide. This hasn't happened, and the top beneficiary has been China, followed by South Korea. Chinese shipyards saw a 68% surge in new building contracts in the first half of this year. That compared with the same period in 2022. New building orders have bounced back sharply this year, with container ships and LNG carriers continuing to dominate although there have been more crude and product tanker contracts as well. It has also seen China cementing its place as the world's largest shipbuilder. This was highlighted by Maritime Strategies International Managing Director Adam Kent in our Markets Outlook episode for the second half of 2023. Adam said, The one other interesting fact about the shipbuilding market over the course of 2023 already is that uh, half of all orders have gone to China which China is sort of surpassing Korea almost on a regular basis now in terms of taking volume on, but delivery dates are increasingly getting pushed out. If you haven't listened to the Market Outlook episode yet, make sure you check it out after this episode. It covers four sectors, shipbuilding, containers, tankers and dry bulk, all in just 45 minutes. And it's also available as many bonus episodes that focus just on each individual sector. Meanwhile, staying with new buildings, dual fuel methanol powered ones are very much the flavor of the month. AP Moller Maersk took delivery of the first container ship, a 2100 TEU Union, that will operate on green methanol. The vessel was delivered by Hyundai Mipo Dockyard in South Korea. It is now sailing to Copenhagen for a naming ceremony having bunkered green methanol in Korea, and is set to do the same in Singapore and Suez. Also joining the methanol-powered vessel's new building fray was Taiwan's Evergreen Marine, announcing plans to invest up to $5 billion in 24 methanol-powered container ships. The order is being split into 8 units and 16 units between Japan's Nihon Shipyard and South Korea's Samsung Heavy Industries, respectively and has since been firmed up. The race is now on to secure supplies of green methanol for all the new buildings headed shipping's way in the coming few years, as its production is very much in the nascent stages. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. Moving into week three, 
and as promised, we are back at the IMO, this time for the election of the new Secretary General from the beginning of 2024 to take over from Keetak Lim, who has served two four-year terms. It was a hotly contested election with no less than seven candidates. After three rounds of a secret ballot voting by the 40 members of the IMO Council, the candidate from Panama, Arsenio Dominguez, was declared the winner. He will serve as IMO Secretary General for a four-year initial period from 1st of January 2024, subject to the approval of the IMO Assembly. Dominguez was seen as the initial favourite, with a strong IMO background, including that of his current role as Director of the Marine Environment Division. But a strong lineup of candidates, that included three women, meant it was far from a certainty that he would be elected. His election makes for a pragmatic and sensible choice. In a tough few years ahead for the IMO, as it moves onwards with its greenhouse gas emission reductions targets we talked about earlier in this episode, Dominguez has an understanding of the inner workings of the IMO, and therefore an understanding of what can be done, and perhaps just as importantly, what can't be done within its consensus-driven decision-making process. How he takes the UN body forward is surely going to be keenly watched. Now, listeners, at the start of this episode, I said you might like to try and guess what stories were going to be featured. Most so far probably have not come as a major surprise, but the next one might. Now, to be fair, it is hard to claim this story is one of the most major maritime stories in July, but it is one I found particularly interesting and certainly got good traction on social media. Now, anyone who's followed the maritime startup community will know that while it is very vibrant, the vast majority of the companies in it will not survive. Even some of those that appear to have a pretty good business proposition don't make it. So there is something quite gratifying about seeing UK-based Spotship, who I've followed since the early days a couple of years back, really starting to make some headway. I had the pleasure of meeting up with co-founder and co-CEO James Kellett, who was in Singapore for Studio 3050's inaugural sprint which also enabled me to have a peek at that while it was happening as well. It would be fair to say James and his fellow co-founder and co-CEO, Henry Waterfield, pretty much live and breathe Spotship, which they have built up in an incremental fashion over the last couple of years. And it's now starting to really gain some traction as a business. James was able to disclose a new partnership with Sedna, which they see as a major breakthrough. He told Sea Trade Maritime News. I'm thrilled to say we've signed a new partnership with Sedna, which we'll be able to announce more about in the coming weeks. Joint customers will be able to use Spotship's 99% plus accuracy to exploit their open position and cargo data within emails in the Sedna system. We're excited to be collaborating with Sedna on important AI initiatives in the industry, alongside other leaders such as Zero North and Vizon. The link to the full story will be in the show notes, so make sure to have a read to find out more about this up-and-coming startup. Moving into the final week of July, and water shortages in the Panama Canal continue to be a problem despite the arrival of rains in the city area a month earlier, as it has not been the same in the canal's watershed. A draft restriction of 13.41 metres remains in place versus a 15.24 metres draft in normal circumstances. But the Panama Canal Authority 
has now taken what it described previously would be a drastic measure in cutting the number of daily transits. From the 30th of July, the number of daily transits for ocean-going vessels will be limited to 32, compared to 38 to 40 normally. The cut in the number of transits is particularly expected to impact vessels without reservations and therefore increase their waiting times. The measures are designed to avoid further draft restrictions, but could well see some shipping companies start to seek alternatives. Lastly for July, we come to the rather depressing sight of another car carrier ablaze at sea. The fire on board the Japanese-owned Fremantle Highway off the Netherlands hit the international news headlines. Sadly, one of the 23 crew on board lost their life while several others were injured. The crew evacuated from the vessel after they were unable to bring the fire under control and some were forced to jump overboard. Some reports have linked the blaze to a number of electric vehicles on board the Fremantle Highway and EV fires are a particular concern to the insurance and salvage sectors given just how difficult they are to bring under control. This latest casualty is sure to further put the focus on fire safety on board vehicle carriers and it will likely be a topic for discussion at the Sea Trade Maritime Salvage and Wreck 2023 conference that takes place in London this December. And that brings us to the end of July and this episode of Maritime in Minutes. Thank you for listening, and until the next episode, make sure you check out seatrade-maritime.com for all the latest shipping and maritime news. Mm-hmm.